0: What I've missed most in recent weeks and months. It hasn't been clothes shopping or travelling or getting my hair done, not that there haven't been times when it's really needed doing. It's been something much more fundamental. Hugs from friends, chats with the servers at my local cafe, that empathetic glance from a fellow gym goer at that point we've both been feeling the burn. As humans, our need to connect with others is hardwired originating in our deep evolutionary past. We are what we might think of as creatures of togetherness. Being connected to others is our natural and in fact, desired state, whether this desire is conscious or not, which is why feeling disconnected from others feels so awful. For it's a sensation our bodies have been primed to react strongly against. You see, when we're lonely, our blood pressure, cortisol levels, and cholesterol all rise deeply. The part of our brain responsible for fight or flight, our amygdala, goes into a state of high alert, a smart short-term response for sure, reminding us clearly of the importance of reconnecting to others, but a response that when protracted, like keeping a car in first gear over the course of a journey, isn't good for us, physically as well as mentally, and helps explain why loneliness isn't just linked to depression and anxiety, but also decreases our life expectancy. Loneliness is as damaging to our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, with even relatively short periods of isolation capable of having a significant negative impact. Now, what's important to acknowledge is that whilst recent weeks and months have made many of us feel more isolated, Even before terms like social distancing had entered our vocabulary and our smiles were occluded by masks, this already was the lonely century, a world in which we felt ever more distant from each other and ever more apart. A world in which four in 10 under 25s said that they often or always felt lonely. Two in five pensioners admitted that their main form of company was their television or pet. Almost half of those who work in offices didn't have a single friend at their job and 85% of employees felt disconnected from their company and their work. Even before the coronavirus struck, we'd been for some time already in the midst of a global loneliness crisis. A crisis that was affecting all of us, young and old, male and female, married and single, rich and poor. In fact, as I crisscrossed the globe, researching my new book, The Lonely Century, one of the things that struck me was how huge the range of people profoundly affected by feelings of disconnection and isolation was. Whether I'm talking Saito-san, the Tokyo pensioner who chose a life of crime in order to be incarcerated because jail was the only place she could find company. Hashim, the London Uber driver, who despite being with passengers all day long feels desperately lonely because he's too scared to speak to them in case he's rated badly as a result. Eric, the Parisian baker who tells me how isolated he was until he found community in France's far right. Peter, the London schoolboy who shared how invisible it makes him feel when he posts on Instagram and gets no response. Or Carl, the Los Angeles media executive who is so lonely he pays to be cuddled. Some of these may be extreme cases for sure, but the fact is loneliness has been on the rise throughout this century, affecting so many of us. There are many reasons why loneliness has been increasing. The unprecedented pace of contemporary life, an ever more feral workplace, a rise in numbers of people who live on their own, mass migration to cities, These are just some of the contributory factors. Did you know that not only is civility lower in cities, but also that the more densely populated a city, the less civil it is? Or that the richer a city, the faster its inhabitants walk, rushing past each other, slamming doors in each other's faces, typically not even knowing our neighbors' names. No wonder cities feel so lonely to so many. The workplace, well, Even before working from home was the norm, work was for many lonely. In open plan offices, people counterintuitively are more likely to communicate by email rather than talk to each other face to face. Whilst radical changes to the way work is structured have resulted in increasing numbers of people in low paid, low quality, precarious work feeling increasingly disenfranchised and without voice. Then there are, of course, the choices politicians have made. Think, for example, of how ever since the 2008 financial crisis, places where people can come together, libraries, parks, youth centres, community centres have been starved of funds. 130 libraries were shut down in the UK last year alone. Community needs an infrastructure. Physical spaces where people of all kinds can interact with each other, unite. We'll never be able to find common ground if there is no ground we can share. And of course, there's this device. The weapon of mass distraction that fragments our attention making the world a meaner, crueler place and also is radically changing how we interact. Fascinating research done in America found that people smile significantly less at each other when they have their smartphones with them, just with them, not necessarily turned on. And despite having spent a number of years researching today's teenagers, I have to admit, I was pretty shocked when I discovered that one of America's most prestigious Ivy League universities has started to run a how to read a face in real life class, for its incoming students in which they're taught if somebody smiles in a meeting, that's a good sign, frowns, that's bad because so many of their incoming students having spent so much time on their screens were incapable of communicating effectively in person. Big tech, big corporations and governments clearly have much to answer for and there are tangible steps they must take if we are to be able to reconnect. My new book, The Lonely Century, has many ideas on this front as to what it is they can do. But there's also much we can do, because society is not only done to us, we do society too. So if we are to stem the loneliness crisis and rebuild community, we will need to actively tend it. Each of us needs to take responsibility for the kind of world in which we want to live whilst recognising that the cards we have been dealt, economically and socially, may well impact the extent to which we are able to do so. Some of this is about taking small steps that may not seem much at first glance, but over time will accrue meaningful impact. Things like putting our phones away and being more present with our partners and families. Asking a work colleague who always eats their lunch alone, Aldesco, whether they want to join us for lunch, even virtually for now, smiling at those who pass by us as we walk in the park, and if we've got masks on, nodding or waving, explicitly recognising a colleague's or friend's helpfulness or kindness. Other steps will demand more of us, whether it's campaigning for a political candidate who speaks to cohesion, not division, standing in solidarity with a group that's being unfairly demonized or discriminated against, or weaning ourselves off these digital transactions we found so convenient during lockdown, committing instead to buy more at our local shops and support the business owners who serve and anchor our communities. More generally, it's a shift in mindset that's needed. We need to recast ourselves from consumers to citizens from takers to givers, from casual observers to active participants. This is about taking opportunities to exercise our listening skills, whether in the context of work, our family lives, or in our friendships. It's about accepting that sometimes what's best for the collective is not what's in our own immediate self-interest. It's about actively practicing empathy, something in the cut and thrust of daily life we can easily forget to do. And while some may decry calls for a greater focus on softer values, we also need to commit to consideration for others, being our lodestar, drawing inspiration from the selfless acts of many people across the globe during the heights of the pandemic. Whether we're talking about the Midlands volunteer who searched high and low during lockdown until he found a shop selling milk in glass bottles in order to support a blind man who needed them to tell the difference between different liquids in his fridge, the Italian university students who left a note in the stairwell of their apartment block offering to help the building's elderly residents with grocery shopping and other tasks, or the Arkansas teenager who poignantly explained that although he hadn't been able to do too many things for people during lockdown, had been trying to make an effort to talk to people I don't normally talk with, just offering a fun conversation to distract them from the world. Which speaks to something each of us can do, something we can do right now. Think about whether there's someone in our own network who might be lonely, and consciously reach out to them. If we can, arrange to meet up with them in a socially distanced, safe way, or otherwise pick up the phone and give them a call. Just sewing someone with thinking about them, that they are visible to us, can make a huge difference to someone who's feeling lonely themselves. Kindness matters. Feeling heard and seen matters. Feeling connected to others matters. And although this right now is the lonely century, It doesn't have to remain so. Change is possible as long as the will is there, individually and collectively. The future is in our hands.